listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Today, we're starting a new sermon series on the book of James. And for those of you who might be new to the Bible, James is located toward the very back. It's one of the last books in the New Testament. And a few interesting things about James. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Not only was James related to Jesus, but he was also one of the early church fathers, one of the early church leaders. He was known as a pillar in the Jerusalem church, which by the way was the very first Jesus community. So he was a leader in one of the very first Jesus communities. He was called by many James the Just, and he had a reputation for being a peacemaker. And during James' 20-year ministry, the church fell on hard times. There was a severe famine that had caused just a, a ton of economic hardship. Many people had lost their jobs and even their homes. In fact, at the tail end of the book, James addresses those who are, are suffering and are seriously ill and nearing death. And so there even appears to be a health crisis of some sorts that happens during his 20-year pastorate. And it was also a time of intense persecution toward Christians. And not the kind of persecution that some American Christians claim to experience. No, I'm talking about legit, real persecution. Like being in prison for your faith and even executed. We know from history that James himself was a martyr. He was killed for his faith in Jesus. And so there was real persecution. And and the Jesus community that James was leading and that he was a part of, was going through some rough times. In fact, the very first verse of James, James chapter 1, verse 1, says this. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers, scattered abroad. And he uses the word scattered because they were scattered. They were being persecuted. They lost their jobs in their homes. They're facing poverty and illness and prejudice and various other challenges. And so James starts this letter by saying, I know that life is hard right now. And friends, I want to say the same thing as James. I know that life is hard right now. And it's okay for us to say that. It's not a lack of faith to name our circumstances and, and to, to speak about what our reality is. But we can also rejoice over the hope we have in Jesus. And that's what the book of James does. That's what James does in this letter that he writes to the church. The book of James is full of wise counsel on how a follower of Jesus can be wholly devoted to practicing the way of Jesus, even in difficult times. And so we're doing this sermon series on the book of James because I believe this letter that James wrote to the church has something unique for us 
in this strange season we're living in where we ourselves feel scattered, right? Where, where many of us are dealing with economic trouble and uncertainty. Some of us are facing health challenges, which James addresses in this letter toward the back end. Our black and brown brothers and sisters, they're experiencing all kinds of prejudice and racial inequality, right? Again, something James addresses in this book. And I want to repeat something I said last week at, at our time together in Mont, East Montpelier. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Some of us are in a yacht, right? We're, we're in the storm, but we're largely unaffected by it. And then there are others of us who right now are in a rowboat. We're paddling for our lives. We're trying just to keep afloat. We're trying just to get through this storm. But then there are some of us who are clinging to a piece of driftwood and barely hanging on. And so it's important that we recognize that our troubles vary. Our troubles vary. They vary in intensity. They vary in frequency. And they even vary in duration. And as followers of Jesus, we have to learn not only how to get through these troubles ourselves, but we have to learn how to help others whose troubles might be more intense and frequent than our own. Which means this, we can't afford to just be a good online church. We have to learn how to be a faithful Jesus community during these challenging times. And the book of James speaks directly to that issue. It's all about pursuing a living and active faith. And so we're gonna spend the next five weeks digging into this book of James. It has five chapters. We're gonna attempt to teach from one chapter per week. And we're gonna lean on this book's wisdom and instruction and I believe that God is going to use it to shape us and form us and challenge us and encourage us. Amen. So let's, let's just jump in. We, we've already read the very first verse of this letter, James chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 2. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now notice that James starts this letter by saying when troubles come your way, not if troubles come your way. And that's important. It's important because we have to understand that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't exempt us from troubles. I, I, I get tired of, of people who peddle Christianity in a way that says, just try Jesus and your life just gets so easy. All your troubles go away. That is not true. If anything, being a follower of Jesus will make your life more complex, not less. But it's worth it. And so James starts his letter by saying, if you're not experiencing difficult times, get ready for them. Because they're coming. Count on it. The real question, of course, that James is getting to is will we allow Jesus to redeem those troubles? Will we learn how to lean on him 
when we're going through them. And James says, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And at first glance, this encouragement from James is shocking. And it can even feel offensive to someone who who is experiencing trouble currently. But he's exhorting his readers here to try to view their hardship, to try to view their troubling circumstances with a new perspective. He's he's gonna build the case that good things can come as a result of having faith in the midst of suffering and trial. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse three in verse four says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, when James talks about faith here, he's referring to trusting in God. That's what faith is. It's it's trusting in God. And so when he talks about our faith being tested, he's referring to those times, those moments, when our circumstances force us to trust in God and to trust in his goodness. And he says that's when our endurance has a chance to grow. And when our endurance is fully developed, he says, we'll be perfect. What does he mean by that? We'll be perfect. Well, in the original Greek language, the word perfect here means wholeness. And that word is used seven times in the book of James. And it has the idea of living an integrated life. A life where our actions are consistent with the values and beliefs that we receive from Jesus. And what James is getting at here is is that God is on a mission to make us whole. And he's able to use our troubles and our circumstances for that very purpose. Now, James is not saying that God is the source of all our troubles. Just the opposite. God uses them as opportunities for us to become whole, to make our faith or our trust in him a living, active thing. In fact, a few verses later in James chapter 1, verse 13, James says this, And remember, when you are being tested, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So this is important to recognize, because when we read about our faith being tested, we can falsely assume that God is toying with us. Right? Oh, that tricky God. He's at it again. He's trying to test me. He's trying to trip me up. Have you ever entertained that false narrative before? James says, that's not it at all. That's not what's happening. In verse 16 of chapter 1, James goes on to say this. Don't be misled. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God. James essentially says that that God isn't trying to trip us up. He he says we're his prized possession. He's not out to get us. He wants to make us whole. 
And that's important for us. It's important for us to know when we, when we enter into a season of challenge, when we enter into challenging times, when we enter into hardship. It's important to know so if you get sick or if you lose your job or if you go through a difficult time, God isn't toying with you. Rather, he's waiting for you to trust in him and in his goodness because he wants to move you toward wholeness. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So we need to remember that when trouble comes our way. That, that troubles are opportunities to shape our faith into a living, active faith. An eating, working, sleeping, walking around faith. A living faith that trusts in God and that trusts in his goodness no matter what circumstances come our way. And so James is encouraging the church, he's encouraging his readers here to try to view hardship as a gift. And that's not easy, right? <laughs> Whenever hardship comes our way, we don't say, wow, what a gift. But James is encouraging us and exhorting us to try to view it that way, that it's a gift that forces us to trust in God alone. Because in the process of trusting God, we find wholeness. You know, in 1989, um, I was a senior in high school, and I had an opportunity to go to New York City. There was an organization down there called NISM, and, and for a whole week, just did all kinds of, of ministry. We supplied blankets and food to homeless folks and went and sat down on the streets with them and, and just listened to them and chatted with them and prayed with them. We got to serve in soup kitchens during that week. We got to visit an orphanage and, and put on clown costumes and hand out candy and play with kids. But one of the things I got to do that week was to visit a care facility for AIDS patients. And many of you might not know this, but in 1989, the number of AIDS cases in the US reached 100,000. And it was an epidemic that people really didn't know a lot about. The medical community, and, and even as a nation, we just didn't understand a lot about it. And in 1989, US Congress created what's known as the National Commission on AIDS. And Dr. Fauci actually recommended for the first time giving HIV positive people who didn't qualify for clinical trials, experimental treatments. At that time too, 1989, the US Health Resources and Services Administration allocated $20 million for HIV care facilities. And so I got to go to one of these care facilities in 1989 in New York City. And I was just a kid and I, to, I was, pretty scared. I didn't know a lot about AIDS and 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 when we got to the facility the person who was who was bringing a group of us there um, said we're gonna go to the top floor of this facility and that's where uh, folks who have this disease are in their last days and I remember when the elevator opened up the person who was leading our group said, Adam, you're gonna go down this hallway and there's a couple rooms on the right that you're gonna go visit with folks and just listen to the Holy Spirit, minister to them, pray for them. I was terrified. And I walked in and 
Oh, um, I, I remember the smell first and foremost. It was something that I'd never smelled before. And I walked in the room and saw two gentlemen in bed and they were emaciated. Um, skin and bones, just really, really sick. And one of them was, was pretty unresponsive and he was the one closest to the door. So I went and sat down beside him and, and, and just was present with him. He couldn't speak. He was very, very ill and um, occasionally could, could moan and groan. And I was able just to sit there with him for a few minutes and then I prayed with him. And after I prayed with him, the other gentleman in the room uh, turned his head over and, and mumbled something toward me. And so I walked over to him and he, he had said that he heard me pray with his roommate and that he would like me to pray with him. And then he uh, took some time to share with me his story, how he had grown up as the son of a Baptist pastor, a Baptist minister, and through just the series of events, just kind of walked away from God and the church and kind of discarded his faith in, in a lot of ways. And during that decade-long process, it, it contracted AIDS. And, and then he said something that really impacted me. He said, I'm so grateful to be in this place right now. And that shook me. I mean, he was, he was just days away from, from dying. And he shared with me how he was grateful to be in this place right now because God had rescued him and God had brought him back to himself through um, this disease. And I remember sitting by that bedside and thinking, this is real faith. This, what this guy is saying, this is living faith. It was much more alive than my own faith. And I was the one who was supposed to be praying with him and ministering to him. Because here was someone who was trusting in God and trusting in God's goodness in the worst circumstances imaginable. And I know this, when the new heavens and new earth merge together, I'm going to find that guy. I don't know his name, but I'm going to find that guy and tell him how impacted I was by that moment, by his, his declaration of faith. And I share that story to say this. I don't know what kind of trouble you're facing today because troubles vary in their intensity, right? What, what, what's troubling me might not be troubling you, but, but I know this. I know that God is waiting for us in our trouble. He's waiting for us there. And he's waiting for us to, to trust in him. He's wanting to move us toward wholeness. And so I wanna take just a moment and pause and, and pray for us before I wrap up with a few thoughts. And I just wanna pray that, that, that we would have the awareness to find and, and recognize that God is with us in our troubles and that he, he is committed to making us whole. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in a season right now as we're headed into the colder months and the winter and the flu season where there's just a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknown. 
There is a health crisis that we're facing. There's an economic crisis that we're facing. There's a political crisis that we're facing. There's a racial inequality crisis that we're facing. And, and um, Lord, some of my friends um, are, are paddling for their lives, just trying to, to stay above the water. Others are, are clinging to driftwood, just, just barely hanging on. Lord, I pray that as we go through the book of James together as a church community, I pray as we go through the book of James together that, that we would be encouraged and challenged, that we would have the opportunity to, to maybe shed that false narrative that God is just toying with us. And instead that we would grab onto the truth that James preaches and proclaims that God is with us and he's for us and he's committed to our wholeness. And so Lord, I pray for my friends right now that are facing various kinds of troubles. And I pray, Lord, that they would experience an awareness of your presence with them. And Lord, I ask that you would help us in our our faith journey during these times to, to be the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We cannot settle for being an online church. We have to be more. And I pray the book of James uh, challenges us and encourages us in in that. Lord, we thank you for being faithful to us. We We thank you, Lord, that you are the faithful one who is with us and for us. And, and, And remind us of that this week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you all read James chapter 1 this week because we didn't get to cover it all today. And the final seven verses of chapter 1 really set up the rest of the book. In a nutshell, the last seven verses of James chapter 1 say this, because God is trustworthy, we need to do what he says. He wants us to have a living, breathing faith. You know, next week we'll get into chapter 2 a bit where where James says that faith without obedience, faith without action, is like a body without breath. It's dead. See, this faith journey that we're on with Jesus requires something of us. While salvation is a gift that can't be earned, discipleship and practicing the way of Jesus has a cost. And if we want a living faith, the kind of faith that James talks about in this letter, we have to allow our faith to grow legs. So I hope you'll join us over the next couple of weeks as we dive into this letter, this book of James, because I'm convinced that James can help us put our faith into practice during these troubling times when we maybe don't know what to do. So be well, friends. Remember what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy because God is with you and he's for you and he's committed to making you whole. Amen. Be well, friends. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.